Father, thank you. Lord, hundreds and hundreds of volunteer hours have been invested this week alone. Dan Sharp was here 11 hours yesterday, Lord, working on things that hardly anybody else understands, but we're all going to benefit from them as we continue to broadcast our service online. Whether people are watching live online or they're here in the room or they see a recording or hear a podcast much later, Lord, make your word come alive and help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please open your Bibles in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, please. I'm so grateful to connect with you, whether you're online, friends, or you're here in the room. The room's twice as full as it was last week already. We're headed in the right direction. I dedicated myself since this thing started back in March to finding encouragement in the Lord and to try to extend that encouragement to you. I've prayed so much that you would be encouraged, that your faith would not falter, that you would not give up hope. Please don't. God is still on the throne. Jesus still loves you. The Holy Spirit is still within you if you're a believer. The plan and the mission of God of making disciples, our commandment to love God and to love our neighbor, none of that has changed. It's just harder now, but it counts more now. So if you continue to need encouragement through the week, you might, I do. I need encouragement about every 10 minutes, if I'm honest. I'd invite you to be on our church Facebook page Monday, Wednesday, or Friday at noon. I'm doing a little bite-sized Bible study there, and those are archived if that's not a good time of the week for you. It's just one more way we can come together and have a little bit of community online. And during this entire time, all I've wanted and tried to do is encourage you, and today is no different, but the passage is. Because Daniel chapter 9 is the brokenhearted prayer of a man seeking to get right with God and to bring his nation back into a right covenant relationship with God. And when you read Daniel's prayer of confession, it might feel discouraging in the beginning, and that's not the point. Sometimes what God needs to do to get us moving again, to get us into the life He created us for, is like a surgeon to come along with the scalpel. And the surgeon, by necessity, will always hurt, but he will never harm. And all I've tried to do to this point is to show you promises and encouragement and faithfulness from the Lord, and Daniel chapter 9 is all of that, but this may feel different, and I want you to understand the passage because this is a model prayer. It is one of the greatest prayers in the entire Bible. It is a prayer of confession as Daniel has an encounter with God's Word that broke his heart, brought him to his knees, and made him pour his heart out to God to make himself and to plead with God to be again at peace and in harmony with the nation of Israel. If you don't know his story, Daniel is one of the great men of the entire Scriptures. Along with his three famous friends that we know by their Empire names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel was deported as a very young man by the kingdom of Babylon. 
In a moment, he saw a savage, brutal, pagan empire sweep into his city, kill untold thousands, take the best of the young men there, change their culture, change their name, change everything about them to remake them into their own pagan image and put them in the service of a dark empire. That was Daniel's experience. And he and his friends very famously stood fast in the darkest of all possible days with absolutely nothing in their favor. Daniel and the other three stood for God. And God blessed and honored Daniel by making him a trusted advisor, an important man in a foreign empire. And he served for decades. When he wrote Daniel chapter 9, much has changed. Daniel is no longer a young man. He's an old man now. And in fact, he's serving under a whole new empire. Because the way of the world, and especially the ancient world, is that one empire topples another, and Babylon fell to the fearsome Persians. And instead of being killed by the new power, Daniel was again, by God's blessing and power in his life, given another trusted position to a foreign king, and he served him faithfully. But in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel tells us that he is serving. Look in Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, boy, that's a lot of strange words right in the beginning, isn't it? He's telling you the king and the empire he was serving. And this Darius was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. In other words, in his first year of service under this new king, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible storyline, let me explain to you what I just read. Daniel himself is reading Scripture. He is reading the book Jeremiah, the same Jeremiah that is in your Bible. Just a few pages before, uh, just a few pages from the book of Daniel. And Daniel reads that what he and his nation are living through in exile was actually prophesied, that it hasn't been random, that their captivity was written down by God and predicted because of the sinfulness of Israel. And Daniel, in his old age, realizes this, time is almost up. He is nearly at the threshold of those 70 years, and then Daniel, for the rest of this chapter, from verse 3 to verse 19, Daniel prays. And though he is a godly man who has stood with God and for God in the most dangerous and intimidating circumstances possible, because he was a man of God, he went before God and made confession. I'm going to read you now the length of his prayer almost to the end, and I want you to hear before I explain it. I want you to hear how sinful people can get right with God by drinking in Daniel's prayer. And this is why I was so concerned and why I told you in the beginning, I don't want to discourage you in the slightest, but confession, when you agree with God about your sin, that in itself is not a good time. 
It does not feel good to realize that you're wrong. Does anybody else here enjoy being wrong? <laughs> Two or three times in my uh, pastoral ministry, I've done marriage counseling where it's always the wife says to me, this man has never been wrong in our entire marriage. And yes, there is sarcasm in the statement, as you might imagine. It's hard to admit you're wrong, but that's actually where healing begins. You see, it's been a hashtag in these days, let the healing begin. We need healing. Yes, we do, but healing begins with agreement with God. And Daniel, one of the few godly men in the empire, the one who has had God's hand on him to make him one of the great prophets who will give the first prophecies that will later be echoed and fulfilled much later in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, Daniel, from his life of godly, faithful service, reads in the book, he reads in the Word of God, why this has come and the heartening encouragement that it's almost over, and he begins to pray and confess. Verse 3, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And what that means is Daniel has dressed himself in rough burlap and scattered ash over his head. He is using a cultural symbol to portray the depth of his sorrow. Just as we wear black in days of mourning and we lower our, our flag to half-mast in times of national sorrow, Daniel is inside and out portraying to the God who sees him the depth of his repentance. And he says in verse 4, he makes his confession. Look, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. You might want to underline that word. Saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. 
He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven there has not been anything done like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Mark this. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Is that a hard read? It is. Over and over and over again, I want to show you In verse 4, Daniel says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments. In verse 6, he says, We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. At the end of verse 7, he says, You have driven them to other lands for the treachery that they have committed against you. In verse 8, he says, We have sinned against you. In verse 9, he says, We have rebelled. In verse 11, he says, all Israel has transgressed your laws and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. At the end of the verse, he says, we have sinned against him. In verse 13, he says, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. In verse 14, he says, we have not obeyed his voice. Are you getting the idea? Why does he say it so much? Because he feels it so deeply. How can sinful people, how can sinful individuals, sinful churches, and sinful countries be made right with God? Sinful people get right with God when we agree with God that we have done wrong and we agree with God about what it cost us. And we can take this in any proportion you want because Daniel is speaking for himself, but you'll notice he's also speaking for the entire covenant nation, the unique nation, unlike the United States and any other nation in the history of the world to whom God had made special promises that they would be his people, that they would be his light of the nations, that from them the Savior would come. Daniel does not stand aloof from any of that, neither did Nehemiah. When God worked in the life of Daniel to show him all that the nation had done wrong, they sat down and wept and made confession with God, agreeing with God about what has been done wrong and what it has cost. And since you can only make decisions for yourself, confession is you agreeing with God about what you did wrong and what it cost you. And please notice, this awakening comes through an encounter with God's Word. Daniel walks with God, serves God, speaks for God for decades. But did you notice when his prayer of confession was prompted? He was reading, he says, in the early verses, in verse 2, he says, I was reading the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, a fellow prophet and an earlier prophet. Do you understand the magnitude of what I'm telling you? One prophet is reading the written words of an earlier prophet, and Daniel in that moment understands, as he's never understood before, why he has been captive in two different empires, how right God was, and how wrong Israel was this entire time. 
Everything I just read to you, Daniel reviews the promises and the warnings and the blessings and the consequences of God, and it all starts with God's Word. Please, church, please, Christian, please, family, please, friend, beware the vicious cycle of starting to stray and then avoiding your Bible. Have you ever done that? Your heart gets a little cold. You start wandering away from God. You see your Bible on the nightstand. You feel shame and guilt, and you leave it closed. Guess what will happen then? You'll wander a little farther from God. And you'll look at your closed Bible the next day and feel a little more shame and a little more guilt. And guess what might happen then? You say, how do you know this? I've lived it. This is the vicious cycle of sin. This is how people fall away from the Lord. This is how people avoid confession and also skip all the blessings and all the restoration that God could give them because shame and guilt kick in. They start avoiding the Word of God, and they never return to obey the voice of God. Daniel said, I am making my confession, and I don't want to lose you or confuse you. The Hebrew word confession has its own meanings, and frankly, they're not that dramatic. But when we come to the New Testament, when the revelation of God continues, when Jesus appears on earth and God writes in a whole other language in a different time, and he gives us the New Testament, not in Hebrew, but in Greek, the Greek word for confession, you with me so far? Daniel is a Jew writing in Hebrew. I'm talking centuries later when God's work continues through His Son Jesus and another empire has risen that has given a universal language to the world called Greek, and God chooses in that time and in that place to send His Son into a Greek-speaking world, ruled by Romans, but still speaking Greek, and the New Testament writers, the disciples, the apostles, the first followers of Jesus, explain the good news to us. They write it to us in Greek in the New Testament. Everybody with me so far? If you're online, nod. Okay, you can't do that, but hopefully I didn't lose you. When you come to the New Testament, The word confession in Greek is very instructive because in Greek, to confess means to say the same thing. Have you ever admitted to something without confessing it? I've done it, but so what? I've done it, I had my reasons. I've done it, I had no choice. I've done it, I'll do it again. That's admission, that's not confession. Daniel is showing you through an actual personal prayer what the word in the New Testament literally means. He's agreeing with God all the way down. That's why I walked you through all those different phrases. In fact, look with me just to get another reminder of it. Look with me in verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. That is confession. 
Confession is more than I'm sorry. Confession is coming into deep, heartfelt agreement with God that He's been right all along and you were wrong every time you disobeyed Him. In other words, to say the same thing. And then John the disciple comes along, one of the first disciples of Jesus, the most beloved of the twelve, and he makes us this glorious promise. Look, John wrote this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. It's been so long since I've heard you read the Bible together with me. That sounded glorious. Can you read this promise with me again? 1 John 1, verse 9, the Bible says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me read that to you literally. If we say the same thing about our sins, if we agree with God, if we say as Daniel did, you were entirely right. You're righteous and we're ashamed. You've been faithful and you've, we've been unfaithful. You've been loving and we've been treacherous. If we confess our sins, here's God's part because of His great mercy, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. So mark it down. If you're still explaining or arguing or bargaining with God, you're not confessing. Daniel didn't ask for anything from verse 4 to verse 15. I want you to see that because a shallow repentance and a shallow confession will do me and you no good. A shallow confession and a shallow repentance sounds like this, God, I'm, I'm sorry, my bad. Can we get back to you blessing me? I've been blessed by it, and it's been done all over the country and all over the world. There's a new song that came out called The Blessing that people have been doing via virtual choirs. Have you seen that? I've enjoyed it. It brought me to tears the first time I heard the version that came from the UK. It's scriptural. But to ask that kind of, for that kind of blessing without making this kind of confession is sinful pride and presumptuousness. We should. You heard me last week with tears. If you were here in the 9 a.m. service before we went online, I stood right there and prayed. And I was moved to tears, and I literally said, God bless America. He can. He might. But not without confession not without standing in the gap and recognizing our wrongs. If you're explaining, if you're arguing or you're bargaining, you're not confessing. This Daniel chapter 9, this prayer stands as a monument even among the peaks of Scripture. It stands high above many other prayers in the Bible because it is so humble, it is so raw, it is so completely devoid of any kind of pretense or bargaining or excusing or minimizing. And before we get to confessing, we try to do all of that. 
not Daniel. And then, number two, first you agree with God about what you did wrong and what it cost you, and then, number two, you humbly ask God to forgive you and to bless you, not for your sake, but for His. Look in verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. That's an old-fashioned phrase that is not often used. What Daniel means is, God, we've become a mockery. We're a catchphrase. We're a global joke. People mock our name and mock your name. But did you notice whose fault Daniel says it is? It's our fault. We've become the laughingstock of the world because what we've done now, here, finally comes the request. Now, therefore, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. Notice he's not bargaining, he's not promising, he's asking for what God is so ready and willing to give. He's asking for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, please underline that if, you're the, if you have a paper Bible. Now, therefore, O oh our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. Don't miss this. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. When you ask God for His mercy and for His forgiveness, always ask for that and ask for His blessing for God's own sake. Look in verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to His pleas for mercy and, what's it say? For your own sake. Do you see the importance of that? If Daniel said, do it for us, what could he possibly explain to God was worth helping them? He's just spent the entire prayer saying, God, you were right all along. We've been wicked. We've been unfaithful. We've been treacherous. We've been disobedient. We've been rebellious. You talk to us over and over again, beginning with Moses and through all of our prophets, ruler after ruler, father after father, family after family. You kept warning and promising. You kept threatening and blessing, and we didn't listen, and that's why we're in the mess we're in. Now he says, give us mercy, not because we deserve it, but do it for your own sake. Verse 18, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. One of the great truths of Scripture 
You can come to God and call him your father and call Jesus not only your savior and king, but your big brother in the family of God, not because of your righteousness, because God saw you down there doing pretty well and figured he'd just help with the last little bit you needed to get to him. No, he saw you in a dead condition, and because of his own great mercy, for his own sake, Jesus stepped forward to the cross to die for sinners. That's your assurance. And it's not Daniel's idea. It runs all the way through Scripture, including hundreds of years earlier when one of the few kings that Israel had that walked with him, King David, wrote in Psalm 23 these words, He restores my soul. Read the second line with me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Did you ever notice that? All the blessings of the good shepherd that the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want, you shall not lack, you shall not lack anything. Why does all that thing come to the helpless sheep? Because God does it for his own namesake. If God loved me and chose to bless me or my family or anything I cared about for my sake, I wouldn't last a minute. What can a sinful person present a perfectly holy God? Are you aware that God doesn't work on a pretty good basis? See, we make our way through life. We choose restaurants. We buy clothes. We work jobs. We buy houses. We go through marriages and relationships. And we say, that's pretty good. God can't deal with pretty good. He's perfect. He's holy. He's just. He will not corrupt himself. He will not betray himself. He will not go back on his word. He will not ignore his own law. So Daniel comes into an encounter with God's promises and with God's laws, looks across his entire life of captivity, remembers that he's called now by, for decades by another languages and by another empire's name, and rather than say, we got a raw deal, you've overdone it. He said, God, you were right all along. We don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but for your own sake. We agree with David, restore us, lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Here's the point. Christian, church, and person who's right on the edge of believing in Jesus, we will be right with God when we agree he is right and always has been. That's where life begins. That's when we get restored. That's when we get refreshed. That's when mercy is given. That's when blessings come. When we agree with God that he has been right always and that any sins and any consequences are our fault. So my question to you, cross point, with all that we've been through as individuals and families. And if I could address our whole area, and I can't, but if I could ask America a question, I would ask this, are we now ready to be right with God? What will it take exactly? How much lawlessness? How much tyranny on one side and anarchy on the other? 
How much wickedness, how much sickness, how much death, how much loss, how much grief must we endure before we finally turn back to the God who is always right and in His righteousness He is faithful and loving and merciful and quick to forgive anyone who will agree with Him. That is the great trouble. The trouble is never God's willingness to forgive. The trouble is always man's unwillingness to say to God this simple confession, you're entirely right. Every time I've doubted you, every time I've disobeyed you, every time I've ignored you, I've been wrong, and these consequences that I suffer, they're my fault, not yours. But forgive me. Give me mercy. Restore me. Bless me. Make your face to shine upon me, not because I deserve it, but because of your own good name. Are you ready? Shall we seek the Lord? Let's do that. Would you pray with me? I want to just give everyone here in the room a moment, and it's more difficult online to do so. I understand that. There's more distractions if you're at home. But only about a third of the church will be here this morning. If you're at home, cross point, could you not shut us off just yet? Would you sit quietly for a moment and turn to the Lord? Would you make your confession and ask God for His mercy? Maybe, just maybe, you're in the room or online and you've been playing at being a Christian, but you're really not. You've never confessed to God the way Daniel did. Maybe you've even asked Jesus in your heart, but you haven't really agreed with God as you're about your sin. Could I invite you to do that now? If you're home, could I invite you to text us and let us know that you've done that? Do it this way. Just grab your phone and send us a text, 714-868-7258. 714-868-7258. Just send a text with the name Jesus. It's not magical. It's just a simple way of making a personal acknowledgement that you're turning to the Lord. If you have questions, if you have doubts, I'll be in touch with you myself. Let's spend a moment more with the Lord. Confess sin. Ask for mercy. Lord, for your own sake, forgive us. We've done wrong. All that is wrong is, is on us. It really is. You've never done anything wrong. You haven't been unfaithful a moment You've never been anything but truthful and honest. You've put it in writing. Your Holy Spirit has impressed it on our hearts. So we say with Daniel, give us your mercy. Forgive us our sins. Restore us to you. And if there's a single person, Lord, listening now or any time that doesn't know you, may they turn to you now and say to you, Jesus, that they take you as Lord and Savior 
they agree with you about sin, and they ask you for life. Revive us, Lord, I pray, for your own sake. Bless us and restore us and let us rise, Lord, to serve you and love you faithfully as we never have before. I pray in Jesus' name.